You're listening to Inside the Athletic Mind with your hosts, Taylor Cook, Lauren Williams, and Margaret Jennings. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Athletic Mind, where we dig deep and shed light on the mental side of sports for female athletes and coaches by having open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. This episode is brought to you by Flow Code. You know that state when we act with a razor-sharp focus, our confidence is overwhelmed with certainty, and our body and mind adapt to the situation effortlessly. There's no inner voice criticizing every move we make. We're completely immersed in the task at hand, and in that state, there's absolutely no doubt. There's no stresses or pressures blocking us from achieving what we want. Athletes sometimes refer to this state as being in the zone, but this is also known as flow state. And when we're in flow, we're adjusting to reality cues, just like riding a wave, and we experience the most desirable state for performance. You feel in tune with the task, moving with an accuracy and composure, and fully enjoying every second of it. Now, there's many different ways that athletes can get into that blissful flow state, and Flow Code offers over 700 flow triggers and programs from breathwork to meditations, rituals, cognitive triggers, auditory triggers, movement modalities, and a broad range of other tips taking you closer to flow. The Flow Hub 7 is your designated space for learning how to get into flow, optimize the experience of it, and turn it into a trait. You can enjoy the vast collection of time-tested flow programs and flow alignment triggers on your phone or desktop. So whether you're an athlete that wants to learn how to optimize performance with flow or a coach that wants to elevate their coaching business, you can join the world's leading biohacking flow portal today. Athletes can go to www.theflowhub.com and use the code IAM10 for a 10% discount on monthly or annual subscriptions. Coaches that want to add something extra to their toolbox can visit www.theflowcode.com to learn more about the Flowcode Coach Program and get a 10% discount when you use the code IAM10. That's all caps, IAM10. And you can find all of this information below in the show notes. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Athletic Mind. We are not joined by Lauren today, who unfortunately had to be taken away from us at the very last minute uh, with some clientele work, but she's here with us in spirit. And today we are super excited to be talking with Michael Doyle about flow, flow state, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Grateful to be here. Um, anything I get involved in, um, I start with gratitude. Thank you to you guys and to all the listeners and viewers that will watch this later. Thanks. And um, I mean, to just kick things off here, how about you give the listeners a little bit of background on who you are? Like, how did you get into flow and flow coaching and, and all of that great stuff? Yeah, I'd love to share some of that. So my name is Michael Doyle. I'm originally from Newfoundland. Um, that's where I get my shyness from. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's interesting. I think our journey, we connected us looking back. Um, coaching, flow, all these things kind of found me and pulled me towards it. It's not something I actually look for. But in my personal journey or overcoming obstacles, it's what I got into. So fitness was the foundation. Um 
Cole's notes version, I struggled with alcohol for almost two decades. I, I like to joke and say I was only drunk once, it was for about 16 years. <laughs> and um, I had a lot of fun and played a lot of music, but there was time for a change. And um, I had that moment of clarity. Anytime we make a big shift, it's sparked by a moment of clarity. So April 24th, 2010, I literally wrote a book about it, <laughs> but um, that's where my life shifted. And ultimately it was a shift for me internally. But extrinsically, my son was 14 months old, and he was a big motivator for me. And uh, that's where all the shifting started and slowly got into drinking more water, eating breakfast again, walking to work, fitness, um, nutrition. It all just kind of snowballed into the work I do now, which is, you know, leadership work, getting everyone in the same boat, rowing in the same direction. So I've done a lot of writing, co-authored books. Um, recently just finished one that's coming out soon all about peak performance and my contribution to that um, book they asked me to write in sp like specifically about how peak performance lends to leadership so that was really fun to write that's that's me in a nutshell <laughs> so many good nuggets there huh mj Absolutely. Yes. And like, I, I'm interested in that, that last point you made the idea that peak performance lends itself to good leadership or the relation between the two. Like, I'm curious if you could, could expand on that idea a bit for us. Yeah. At the end of the day, it starts with you. I always say we are the CEO of our own self and we know that it's the journey inward. Um, at a quantum level, I talk about intentionally fueling your mind, body, and spirit every day. That's where we build our internal wealth, if you will. It's where we get our self-awareness. We strengthen the metacognition. We're able to um, respond rather than react. We're proactive a lot more. And, and all the things I teach and coach and learn, I love it, but I'm never, uh, it's not about being perfect. I'm not 100% consistent on anything I teach, but I do embody it. There's things I do daily, weekly, monthly to help me show up. But if there's, if I had one message about leadership, it's lead, lead yourself first. That's, that's pretty basic, I guess, but. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's a golden nugget though, 100%. And I think that's where a lot of, I mean, a lot of the people that we work with and, and maybe not so much me, but you, MJ, you can, you can see that, yes, they've done really great work in their careers and then they get promoted to management and leadership roles, but they've never actually had any leadership training, right? So they don't know how to lead a group of people, let alone, or sorry, I should say they don't really know how to lead themselves before they can start to lead a group of people and mm -hmm. have them, like you said, all in the same boat, rowing in the same direction. Yeah. And I find new leaders sometimes, unless they're, you know, there's natural born leaders. And I know that's one of my gifts. And that's why, you know, I'm, I'm a leadership seer. I say I help people see where their company could go and then help them bring it there. And I believe in business alchemy. I love strategy. I love systems. But I think you can't underestimate the power of your focus, clarity, intention, and energy behind everything you're doing. So whether it's a phone call or a letter or an email, I'm pretty religious that uh, I'm very ritualistic in the way I show up, like so before a call or if I finish sending an email before I hit send, I close my eyes, set the intention and I send it. This or something better for the greater good of all. It's go to serve people. It's not about getting, it's about giving um, and we're stronger together. So for me, even though I'm a coach and I'm a speaker and author, I'm never competing. I'm always creating and collaborating. 
Yes. And what I love about that, it ties into that idea of like progress, not perfection, right? And given mm-hmm. we do a lot of work, especially in the athletic world, you know, what you were saying just got my brain spinning because we think about, like you said, like being able to look inward in terms of how I'm showing up and, and some of the deficit strategies we see in athletics, there is very much for a lot of people that focus on external validation, right? What does my yep. statistics line say? If we win, we're great. If we lose, we're not. So the external, the social comparison, like there are all of these hurdles and roadblocks that seem to distract people from getting into that flow state or being in a position where they really do feel empowered by their purpose to be intentional about what they do. And like Mm -hmm. you said, it's that idea of like being reactionary versus responding. Like I'm curious from your perspective, what are some of the biggest hurdles that you see your clients run into and maybe just some first steps that they can take in terms of overcoming them? First of all, be with okay with not being okay sometimes. Be okay with, you know, people think we're supposed to have it all figured out. And the truth is the more we learn, the more we know we'll never know it all, right? So mm-hmm. I love that I'll never know it all. So some people say, what's the point? And I see the other way, I love learning. When I help a company that has a million moving pieces, instead of going, oh my God, there's so many moving pieces. I'm like, oh, there's so many moving pieces. I love it. It's like a puzzle for me. And then I, I, I break it into systems. They call me the clarity guy. That's my gift is clarity. And it doesn't mean I'm super clear on everything all the time, especially with myself. I have people that support me, right? So circle of influence would be my biggest thing. Next to journeying inward, it would be what's your circle like? Do they support, motivate, and elevate you, right? So we all have those people that we can just call up. They don't need to say anything. They can just be a sounding board. We get to vent, get things off our chest and feel better after we talk to them, right? That's the support. Then we have the motivate people that are cheerleaders. I'm a cheerleader for people. Like I get more excited helping other people launch things than even my own stuff. I get excited about my own, of course, but I love helping other people create something that's for the collective, something that's in their soul. There's a seed. I tell people you are never given a seed without the ability to water it and grow it. Oh, I have like chills. That's, that's so important. So true. Oh my goodness. Um, now, I mean, now that we're kind of like in the discussion of flow, let's kind of maybe start to pull back those curtains a little bit and, and start from the beginning. So when you're working with an athlete or with a team, how do you explain flow to them in a way that they're able to understand exactly what that means and how that feels, especially for people who maybe haven't actually had the pleasure of experiencing what that is. Yeah. Um, sometimes I, I'll ask questions like, um, what are you doing when time disappears? Right. Um, what floats your boat? As we say in Newfoundland, <laughs> like what, floats your <laughs> boat? What, what do you enjoy doing? What are you doing when time disappears? When, because when we're in flow, as you know, we're completely present in the moment, right? Every level of awareness, every cell in our body, we are, hyper-focused on the task at hand or the action that we're doing, right? And I believe as a writer or and a coach, anything I create from that state, I fully believe anytime we create from that space, from the quantum, we are creating for the greater good. That's what I love about flow. Um, from athletes, it's, you know, the moment, the energy, the intention, when you, when we go from our head and we're in our heart, it's that feeling, 
So when people are overwhelmed, I walk them through a quick breathing exercise. It's very simple. I get them to sit up straight. You know, when our, the, the negative self talk is there, the prefrontal cortex is like firing really fast. Then we can like close our eyes, put our hands on our heart. Cause for me, that works really well and take a few deep breaths until I feel energy shift from here to here. So I help people right before they do a big interview or something like that. And they're like, oh my God, thank you. You know, I aced the interview. I'm like, I didn't ace the interview. You aced the interview. <laughs> I just help you get your energy before the interview. You know, you worked for five years up to, to get this interview. Like everything you've done was you. I'm just the personal GPS. Because everyone's their own guru. Everyone has the answers. You just have to ask the right questions. So the, for someone that's just learning flow, um, I first of all, try to find out what their strengths are. And how much of their time are they spending on their natural strengths within the job? So I'm also a flow consultant. <laughs> I love flow. So I'm a flow and steady. I've been saying go to flow my whole life before I long, you know, knew about flow state. And as a musician, I've experienced it many times where literally hours and hours disappeared for me playing music or composing music and recording music. So that for me was flow. I didn't understand it as much back then but I harnessed it without knowing same thing on stage I would be playing a show and like I could feel it when I had the room you had them and I'm like I'm so it's just like someone plugged me into a generator and some of the people in the band sometimes are like oh, I take a break and I'm like break like are you in the same room I'm in I'm like I'm not going anywhere so sometimes you know they take a break and I would keep playing I would just stay because once I had them I wanted to keep that connection so it's going to be different for everyone but let people think about Watch your natural strengths. Let them hear what other people think their strengths are, which also helps. Um, and make sure that they're spending time in those strengths within the organization. Yeah, and to build on that, like I'm curious, I feel like is it, in some ways it's a natural skill, right? Because when we're in alignment with our strengths, we just get into that space where we can be present. Yeah. But is it also an acquired skill? Is it something that people can progressively get better at? And if so, is there like one or two things that you would recommend for someone to consciously work on being able to A, get into that space more regularly and B, maybe keep themselves in that space a bit more consistently? Yeah, I love that question because it lends perfectly to the flow code and why I got involved with NASA and the whole program. Because for me, if I'm being honest, I'm very natural at flow. I'm, I'm the flow master. And I know that about myself, right? If I open my Spotify, it says flow master Doyle. When I open my Netflix, it says flow master. I love flow, but we don't grow in flow. We're like, we're really good and we're productive. So can you learn flow and can you harness it? So I was had a huge fear of public speaking. Right. And now I'm on stage and I'm in flow while I'm speaking. So that's something that you can build. If you only wait till you're comfortable, as you know, we don't grow outside the comfort zone. So it's finding that balance of the two. Um, flow state can be learned. And as a flow consultant, it helped me understand the dynamics of a business, the life cycle of business, um, all the different personalities and strengths that are dominant in people and that you need people in all those strengths within your organization. So I can assess an organization and say, oh, you have a lot of these. And we tend to attract people of the same types of strengths um, unconsciously until we're aware of it. The second I became aware of the key strengths I was missing in my circle for my business, I started to find people with those strengths. So that's the start of it. But then um, how do I help individuals harness that flow? That's where the flow code come in. I mean, uh, the Flow Code Coaching Academy 
really sets like the scientific foundation, many of the principles of flow and how to start to experience it and harness it. Everyone will get into flow differently. There's so many different triggers. They have over 700 triggers. The, what I love about it is all the time and thought and work and effort and intention that went into their work. Like it's really well done. It's visual. It helps you with your breathing. So at the core of anything, so hypotransient frontality, I think it's called, or transient hypofrontality, sorry. It's basically when the prefrontal cortex is not as busy. Right. So the monkey mind shutting down, the negative self-talk is not there. Uh, there's way less fear and we're more in the moment. So all altered states have that one thing in common from a like cognitive function. Right. That's one thing that. And to me, there's no quicker way to get there than through the breath. The breath is the journey inward and the breath is the journey to your energy. Right. So um, the, at the core of all of it, it's your breath. But there's different triggers and there's four different types. So there's um, cognitive environmental, social, and sensory. So, you know, you can try different ones and what works for you might be what works for me or someone else. But what I like about the flow code is, I really feel is it sets the foundation and gives them tangible tools. Also, as a coach, it gives you a toolbox to add to your arsenal of what you're already using, what programs and pillars that you're using. So as an added value, I can now offer these tools to my clients. I can do corporate teamwork and incorporate flow. So it's it's really cool tool and the work's already done. The science is already done for you. So yeah, it's an amazing organization. And for me, I don't say yes to something unless it's a hell yes. And it has to be linked to the collective. <laughs> so at the macro, I'm here to raise the collective consciousness through connection, collaboration, not myself. <laughs> That'd be too big of a job. <laughs> I resigned years ago for manager of the universe because um, it was a self-appointed position anyway. <laughs> And uh, it's just too much responsibility, but I love connecting and collaborating, right? So it's a really cool resource, the Flow Code. And the Flow Code Hub 7, you can do a seven-day trial. You can just try it out and see what you think of it. So yeah, it's very this well thought the, out. the platform I was telling you about, MJ. They have like all those different trigger sets and they yeah. have like the, kin the kinesthetic movements because like, I mean, for me, getting into Flow has a lot to do with being active and moving and like mm -hmm. the times when I do experience flow is like when I'm at the gym or when I'm playing or I'm practicing or doing something more active and for me it's actually a little bit harder when I'm sitting down staring at a laptop constantly just staring at the time being like oh god it's been like 45 <laughs> minutes like <laughs> yeah <I'm this." laughs> I totally get it yeah Go like ahead. that's that's something I'm really curious about right because as you mentioned at the beginning a starting point is your strengths Right. So there is kind of this assumption that in order to be in flow, you know, it's almost I don't want to say masters again, progress, not perfection, but you have an elite level skill set in this particular area in order to achieve flow, because I'm I'm imagining. Right. Like I'm sure Taylor and I, we've experienced it playing hockey at some time or like you said, being active. I play the guitar, not professionally, but I've definitely gotten to that point because I've done it enough that I trust my skill set. not nearly as good as you. Um, but like, you know, if someone like playing a mandolin, like, I don't know that I could get into flow playing a mandolin because I've never done it before. So like, I'm curious right. about like that. Can you find flow, let's say in things that are not your strengths, or maybe you're not passionate about, because I think that's an area where some people hit a wall on the work front, at least. I really think we can, but if flow is something that we, um, we allow, we learn to allow it, 
But, um, you know, Neza talks about the flow personality and intention to flow. So your intention going in, if your intention is to find flow over time, you can you can find it. Right. So for me as a writer, my first book out of all the projects I've done and albums I've recorded and, you know, things that I've done, um, the book was the most daunting for some reason. I had all this negative self-talk and who are you to be an author? Who are you to write a book? Who are you to be an expert? But at the same time, how does anyone become those things? Right. And my first book in 2017 uh, if I waited till I had, you know, five hours a day to write that book or till I was in flow all the time, it wouldn't have happened. But eventually I did find my flow in the writing, just like eventually I found my flow in the public speaking by doing it. What did I do first? I made a commitment. So there's a thing called the confidence wheel. I don't know if you've seen it. I went to a, an event, it must be in 2015, I think, North Carolina. And Christine Kane, I even asked her permission to use it, and I use it in some of my workshops. And it's very basic. It's just a wheel with four, four sections. And she said, the confidence comes last. And I'm like, how's that? You know. But then I started to think about it. Every obstacle, whether it was my drinking, my fear of deep water, training for triathlons, all the things I did, it, it totally fit into the confidence wheel she gave me. And it's basically, the first one is commitment. It starts with a commitment. So a public speaking, I said out loud that I have a fear of public speaking. It was, it's really odd because if I had a guitar, I don't care if there's a million people, <laughs> like put them there, turn on the lights and I'm ready. I'm born to play that guitar. It's like an extension of my body, right? So I love that, that's very natural. But you take the guitar away and I didn't want to speak into the microphone. I could be at a meeting when I worked in finance and as it was coming closer to me to share the numbers, even though I could probably close my eyes and read the numbers, I knew them, I was nervous. I didn't like the whole part. Right. So just saying that out loud, it has less strength. Um, I start going to something called Toastmasters. And within six months, I was co-hosting um, a Mo Money's event here in London. So that's my personality, too. Like, I don't have to do anything, <laughs> including drinking. I got really good at that, too, apparently. But anything I do, I can't have to do it. So with, with the public speaking or with anything in your job, if you set an intention to flow and find your rhythm, it'll, it'll find you but you have to allow it. You can't force flow. It goes against the whole part of flow. <laughs> force and flow are two different things. I love that. That just like really resonated with me. Like, cause you know, like I was saying earlier for me to get in flow like playing hockey is like the first thing that's going to allow me to get there. Um, yeah. But for I maybe MJ, maybe you don't even know this, but when I was younger, I actually used to sing competitively. Um, and I was like, I was decent. I'm not going to like toot my own horn or anything, but, um, at some point I actually had to, like my mom told me, okay, like you have to make a decision. Are you going to like go the music direction or are you going to go sports? Because we can't keep doing both here. You got to pick one. Yeah. And I was always like terrified singing in front of groups of people, like before going up on stage and singing whatever song it was, I had practiced for months and months before I was always so nervous. I managed it. I did well, but yeah. it was nothing like stepping on the ice and just instantly, like I, there could be a million people watching and I wouldn't even change the fact that like, this is where I am and this is what I'm here to do, you know? I love that. And it's about, so what just came to me is I had chills in my crown here. <laughs> it's like owning your space. 
So I literally felt you stepping onto the ice and the excitement and you're like, you're so ready. And like every cell in your body is ready. You're fully present. You're like, oh, this is going to be fun. I'm ready. Right. Um, so that's and that can come in other actions, too, because speaking, as you know, a little bit of nervousness is healthy. Right. It's just as long as we are able to breathe through it. I mean, before I go on stage or before I do a talk, like a couple of deep breaths before I go on stage. Right. And I help people in the audience realize how quickly we can shift energy. Right. Because sometimes I go the other way. I go like loud music and they're jumping or whatever and saying, I am powerful. Fear will not stop me. All these things. And I love doing that. That's fun. But more times I do the other thing and get them to be really still and close their eyes and just take three deep breaths. And the second everyone opens their eyes, you feel everyone. It's like, how many people felt energy in the room shift? They're like, everyone. I'm like, we can shift the energy at any time. So when we're getting there ahead, get back to the heart space. That's actually, a, that's per, kind of part of the question here for me. So, I mean, in our work, when we work with clients, we talk about the inverted you and kind of like the arousal level that you need to be at in order to kind of reach that flow state for yourself. Yep. Um, and like, it's obviously that varies by individuals. Um, but what is your opinion on like that energy level on the collective level? Because it is different for everybody else. So how do you collectively get everybody on that same wavelength wavelength so collective flows i think for me is even more fascinating than individual flow because as you know you've experienced it in sports like i talked about briefly the other day when you know a team is way behind and all of a sudden they're just in the pocket and everyone knows where the other player is and things are happening that's collective flow and then the other team are going from flow to their head and they're like oh we got oh, we gotta be we gotta stop them we gotta stop them and they stop playing they start to react instead of respond and that's why it's such a big shift it's energy right so um within the department it, it's interesting because in my chapter i talk about this so there was five main things it starts with you um you work for your team this is more leadership but um harnessing the strengths of your team supporting the personal development then harnessing flow state but if you do the first four it lends the, the collective flow just happens so if you have anyone can teach skills to your team but you can't teach commitment. So having the right commitment and skill and people in your team so that you can make sure all the skills are there that you need, that's where you make collective flow. It doesn't matter what flow looks like for each player. I mean, even SWAT teams, a bit of an extreme example, but there's never one leader. It's always based on scenario and everyone knows who's taking the lead and why. Very interesting, the collective flow. What, what role do you think that trust plays in the collective flow? I love that. Yeah, trust is the foundation for sure. Because especially in the SWAT one. Uh, but yeah, no Literally trust. Life or death. Yeah, exactly. Or my triathlon. I said it was sink or swim. <laughs> um, it, it, it trust is at the core of everything, all relationships, right? Whether it's um, work related, contracts, um, intimate relationships, family relationships, friends. Trust is a key because if you know someone got your back and you have theirs, then that dynamic, you can find your flow and, and know that the other one has you covered too, right? So mm -hmm. trust is key. So um, when I do retreats with teams, I really try to do like fun icebreakers. Um, have them share things that other team members didn't know. I, I do a strengths analysis. I like using um, talent and wealth dynamics as one of my favorite, or I'll use Marcus Buckingham's uh, standard assessment. And both of those are great, but a lot of people think you do that and then you're done. But that's not, that's the starting point. That's just oh, like that's literally 
day one to me is like starting point. And then how do you build and, and cultivate that? And then I like to do a chart to show a team or a company, here's where your strengths are, here's where you're high, here's where you're low, and here's where you need to bring people in for the life cycle of your business. A bit separate than sports, but I think it's the same thing. If you analyze the field and the players and where you're strong and where you're not, you're like, oh, we really need to focus on defense next year, or we need to do this. It's the same principles, right? They're all universal. And the nice thing about flow, it's universal. It's not like specific to any way of life or culture or, or demographic. It's, it's our human, it's the way we're genetically put together. It's the way we, we are, right? So it's mind, body, spirit, and the breath is the core. So yeah, I love flow. <laughs> you can probably guess that, but. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. MJ, I'm going to let you like sneak in some questions here because I know I've fired off a few yeah, no, back. But- one that comes to mind, right, especially talking about leaders in different spaces, you know, like working with coaches in the athletic realm quite a bit. When I think about flow or envision flow, right, it's like that execution piece. So like I can see it easily for a player, like they're on the ice and they're just kind of doing what they need to do in the moment. Or if you're writing or if you're playing a, an instrument. And I'm curious, like if you think about in competition, right, like a coach is on yes. a bench overseeing things it seems like a little bit more of like a complex definition for what like that flow looks like. Like I'm curious for a leader to be in flow, are there any particular things that are kind of signs that that's what's happening? Um, It comes back to the fundamentals to me again. So it starts with you. So he he really has to have a lot of self-awareness, a lot of clarity over why he's there and what he wants to see. He needs to visualize that team as much as the players visualize. You know the power of visualization, right? And the team has to know that he's got their back and he works for them too. It's not just vice versa. So if he or she, whoever the coach is that's there, if they are really wanting what's best for the team and have a clear vision and was able to manage that expectation and clearly deliver that to the team. If they're all on the same page, wavelength and and vibe, then it's easier to motivate and support and coach them. But if it's like motivate by fear, and that's a very old (laughs) style way that doesn't work anymore. It's very alive and well, unfortunately. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And even in corporate it is. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a recipe for disaster <laughs> because energy doesn't lie and energy needs to flow. So if, if there's not trust, again, to come back to what Taylor asked, I think trust, the team's trust in the coach and the coach's trust in the team is the foundation of, of a good dynamic. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to continuously work to try to evolve that culture so that that becomes the universal standard. Yeah. But in the meantime, I am always curious Uh, you know, athletes wanting to have this mindset to be able to get in flow, to empower themselves, right. To be intrinsically motivated, given an environment that doesn't necessarily support that, what advice would you give to athletes? Is it possible? Or I suppose, how can they empower themselves given the limitations of their environment to still do what they can within the confines of what they can control? 
Yeah, I love that. So there's two things I would do. And the first is, again, focus on the players themselves, one-on-one, one -on -one, basically, and find out really what are the areas of friction between the coach and the team and what they're experiencing and help them really see of that equation, what part do you play in it, first of all, because we take responsibility for all our experiences. And then what do you have within your control? Because for me, it's never about controlling anything outside of ourselves. <laughs> we can control how we show up, how we react and the intention and action we bring forward, right? So helping them take responsibility fully and say, you know what, instead of letting that trigger you, let it fuel you. Like every time that happens, go inward, go from your head, get out of your head to your heart and, and play, right? And listen to your internal rhythm. I'd like a one-on-one -on -one with a coach, several in most cases, if it's someone that um, has that strategy. And some people are coachable and you can shift that and some are not. And at the end of the day, you have to honor your journey because you can only help someone that's open to receiving that support and help, right? So helping them look at it a bit differently and working one-on-one. -on -one. People tell you what their energy and words you're using. You can tell what stories are in their subconscious. You know what limiting beliefs they need to remove, what ones they need to repattern. So neuroplasticity, just to jump in on that really quickly, it's fascinating when you think about it, that we can retrain the neuropathways. So I heard someone talk, must be six or seven years ago, and it was someone that, you know, really struggled with depression for over 10 years, sometimes, you know, debilitating depression, staying in bed for days at a time. And she talked about, she went to different, you know, counselors and doctors and everything. And then she finally spoke with someone that said, you know, that basically there's a way to retrain your pathways. And the second she believed there was an, a way to fix it, that's where it opened up. We all know about the four minute mile, right? How come everyone was able to do it after the first? Because, oh, if, you know, belief, belief is the code, right? So helping them find out what their blocks are and see if you can remove those limiting beliefs so that their lens of perception on the team and the way they lead is different. And I think a lot of times they're coachable and it can happen because 95% of what we do is habitual, right? So we don't know we're doing those things a lot of times. It's just the way we've been programmed. And as much as metacognition and self-awareness we have, we're still programmed highly by our environment, especially from zero to seven, right? It's already pre-wired into the, the mind. So we yeah. preach this stuff on a daily basis to all the clients we work with. Yeah. Oh my awesome. goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So so I mean, I have friends that work with kids and it's beautiful because you're getting them before those paradigms are really locked in, right? Mm -hmm. And just, you know, it's it's been tested, you know, where kids have like 99 to 100% imagination and genius when they're young. And it's literally taken out of them through the schooling by the time they're 30, you know, it's less. So when we're kids, we're like, oh my God, what's possible? What can we imagine? And then we're like, what can go wrong? So instead of what can go wrong, what can go right? What if it doesn't work? What if it does work it's like yeah. you know so we here's something i love to tell people and it's really simple and you know it's not um life shattering or nothing but we are our biggest obstacle i'll tell you that for sure but we are our greatest asset and the one we fuel is the one that thrives i always say there's two words in the language of the soul fear and love we crave from fear, we create more of the unwanted, lack, scarcity, mentality, environment. We start to have experience that we don't like, snowballs into more. We start to create from love. It's not about having a perfect, but let's tip the scale 51, 52, 53, and we're going to build momentum. So when I quit drinking and started to do the inner work, it was a snowball effect in the right direction. 
and which led me to running, which led me to face my fear of deep water and, and do a triathlon. And it's pretty extreme. Or like I kayaked out to an iceberg in the Atlantic, which was pretty um, awesome experience but it was nerve-wracking but I felt amazing that I did it you know so there's things that we can do to get out of that funk and we're going to, and, and be okay with not being okay because as you know uh, when I do talks I always say anyone here have a straight line in life so far <laughs> like no ups and downs <laughs> no show of hands yet so I'm like because if you do you're, you're I'm going to sit down and you can get on stage and tell me how you do it right so we know that's how we grow you know contrast uh, um, NASA did a thing where they created this environment to grow trees. Have you ever heard of this one? And it was like the so. perfect, the perfect environment, they said. So the right soil, the right temperature, the right water, and they was they grew up really fast. But once they got so tall, they all just start falling over. Because <laughs> there wasn't any adversity. Exactly. There was no roots. They didn't need the roots. So once they got so tall, they toppled over. So, you know, in your divine hour, turn your pain to power. People either stay in the external locus of control it's the government it's the road it's the mother-in-law it's what happened to me not minimizing what happened to them like i have compassion for that but at some point we need to take responsibility for how we want to move forward so anyone that's really done a lot of great things in life they've usually had a lot of adversity people you know are rewarded in public for what they do in private for years, as Tony Robbins always said. It's, you know, it's like the, the 10 years to the overnight success. <laughs> There's a lot behind the scenes. Yes, no question. I love that. I love the way that we're going with this, though. Like, you're, I'd like to hear a bit more about, like, your story in the beginning, because um, there's, there's, we're going to have an episode coming up about mental health awareness and, and why all of these conversations are so important. Um, but I'm curious, like at the very start of your journey, when you made that decision to do that inner work, it always gets worse before it gets better. So I'm curious, like, how did you manage getting through those moments and still keeping like an eye on that kind of like light at the end of the tunnel as you work through those moments? Yeah. So initially by setting the intention and making a commitment to change, right? And I wanted to show up better for myself and for, for my son. He was 14 months old. I'm like, I was doing some pretty cool projects. I had a solid six-figure job. I was running a recording studio. But at the same time, I was a train wreck. You know, I love my drink, right? Um, and it was starting to affect my health, starting to affect my work and my home life. So for me, it was that, sh that shift. I surrendered to struggle. I think surrender is huge. You know, my first book at the helm was like, uh, take control, live fully. And as important as it is to take control and we have to steer our own ship, there's so much power in surrender. Be open to like, we don't control the outcomes. It can be this or something better. I do not believe in failure. You only fail if you stop trying. There's always an outcome. <laughs> it might be the desired outcome, but there's an outcome. And if we take the lesson learned and keep moving forward, I know now it took me a long while to get there. I'm unstoppable. And I say that from a very aligned, humble place. We are all unstoppable. It's a choice, right? So um, for mental health, that's so huge. So the second triathlon I did actually was, was, was to raise money for mental health in Newfoundland. And um, 
it's it's something that we all struggle with. I don't think anyone's like, you know, um, able to just bypass that. It's a part of the human experience, whether it's early childhood, you know, trauma or something in their, their life that they experienced or some of the environment they were in. There's something always that we can clear and clearing that it's not always just clearing it from here. It's clearing it from our energy, our chakras, right? We have an aura, we have meridians to so much to us. Our, our entity is way more than our physical body, as you know, right? So we have to treat the energy side too. And I love science and I love neuroscience and all these things, but I love alchemy. I am an alchemist. We are all alchemists, right? So um, knowing, being okay with not being okay and having someone to, to listen to. So how did I do it? I did it by having support, that simple. And when I see self-made this, self-made that, it's a, it's a bit of a trigger for me because I'm like, no one's self-made. <laughs> you might have done a lot of work and that's great, but someone somewhere has helped you. Someone somewhere has supported you or gave you a helping hand, right? And we all need that support. I love Ram Dass's quote. He says, we are all just walking each other home. <laughs> I love that. You know, it, it, it kind of makes me think, like you said, this idea that when we're young, we have this creativity, right? We haven't been conditioned away from it quite yet. And the older we get, sometimes the more set we get in our ways and our coping mechanisms, whatever they might be. And we have a saying, like we always talk about like awareness comes before intelligence. Like we have to acknowledge that there's an issue before we can come up with a solution. Yeah. And sometimes the challenge is like with these maladaptive behaviors, they're actually formed in an attempt to keep us safe, right? Like our brain is either moving us towards pleasure and away from pain. So like, I'm curious, right? Cause again, if it starts with that awareness, how would you recommend or motivate or encourage people to become aware of how they could better align with like their actual core values and what they want in life? Because there's that layer of like resistance that you have to kind of fight through, right? Because sometimes people don't want to actively admit that they've been doing it the wrong way or not the best way for this long because they're so embedded in that way of doing things. And I know sometimes leaders who are older, that's that's one of the issues we run into. So I'm curious. Absolutely. And again, people cling very tightly to their beliefs, you know, and even through my awakening the last decade or more, like my spiritual journey, at one point, I realized I just created a new silo, this like little spiritual silo. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm just separating again, there is no separation, right? So your truth is different than mine. And people have to find their own. But the first thing I would say is they have to be ready. So the people that I help, I don't, I don't really look for one-on-one -on -one clients anymore. I really focus with teams, but every now and then I still take on clients, of course, one-on-one. -on -one. But for me, they have to come to me. First of all, they have to be ready. And then when I meet with them, I know I have to feel energetically that's a fit and I can help them. And they have to be open to it because if they're not ready, you just have to honor your journey. So you know, I've done talks where everyone goes to the talk because they have to, because it's a work thing. <laughs> and the energy and dynamic in those talks, <laughs> compared to when I go to a talk and people come to see me, there's two different talks. And I've only done that first one once, literally, even though they pay well, I did a talk for an organization and just the energy wasn't right. They were there because they had to be there. It was a personal development day. And it was the longest three hours session I've ever done but when I go and do something and people are there because they want to be there to hear it it's different and again I want to circle back to leading ourselves first 
Um, I am seeing an event, I think it was four years ago in Toronto at the World Fitness Expo for um, CanFit Pro. And it was so interesting to hear all the different speakers and every one of them in a roundabout way said, lead yourself first. So we can help people, but if they're not leading themselves or not ready to lead themselves, we literally, there's nothing we can do <laughs> except yeah. wish them well, yeah. One other quick question, again, maybe just through lived experience or, or just for your opinion, when people come to this acknowledgement, so now they have the awareness and they're like, wow, you know, I want to do this and they're motivated to do this. Yeah. But on occasion, you know, the pathway to getting there, there's some ups and there's some downs. There might be some regression. There might be some, you know, slipping back to the old ways of doing things along the process. Like, how do you navigate that with clients? Do you tell them to expect it? Like, do you, do you encourage them to be lenient with themselves, understanding what's the balance between consistently creating those new habits, but also being compassionate with yourself as you create that separation from the old ones? So I think, again, trust and support, as long as they have support and they know they're supported and helping them with their mindset that it doesn't have to be perfect. That, you know, people talk about personal growth, but personal growth is not easy. Like we do inner work. And for me, it's like, you know, people talk about going through a dark night of the soul or doing shadow work or working on the ego or the inner child. There's so many things that we can do through our journey to help us show up, right? Like <laughs> I feed my inner child chocolate now, apparently, <laughs> but like, I, I love life. I play. Every day for me is play. My work is play. Everything is play. When I do retreats, it's still play. I bring crystals and connect them to energy and goal setting. And I'm like, one time I would stop myself from doing that or say, oh, it's corporate. I can't bring crystals. We're like, well, who is this guy? What's he doing? But you know what? I'm getting pictures after the event and saying, hey, I got my crystal or I keep mine on my desk or mine's in my pocket all the time. People remember those things. So helping people get comfortable in their own skin because you know, be yourself, everyone else is taken. I love that. I love that saying. But sometimes we spend most of our life not knowing how to be yourself because we're programmed, first of all, to never put ourselves first. We think it's selfish to put ourselves first. I have yet to experience one client in six years that never hit a point in their life where they had to put themselves first. In a, in not in a selfish way, but in an empowering way. The more I grow, the greater capacity I have to serve. I can show up better as a father. I can show up better as a friend. I can show up like, I think it's the key that we forget sometimes. We look outside ourselves for the next thing. When I pay this off, when I get the car, when I move to this place, but everything is inward. Happiness, success, fulfillment starts on the inside. I couldn't agree more. I actually had a conversation with one of, one of my athletes today about that entire situation right there. And you know, I think the trouble with athletes kind of MJ, the way you mentioned earlier is there is so much focus on the external statistics for people, right? Whether you're a, a forward defense goalie, whether it's your goals and assists or your plus minus or your goals against average doesn't really matter. Um, we all do like to have good stats at the end of the day, but yeah. when you start to measure, measure yourself as an athlete and as a person by those stats, you're not going to be fulfilled by it, especially if you're not hitting those targets. And, and that was kind of one of the problems that he was struggling with. It's like, I've set my, myself these goals the past two seasons and I haven't been able to hit them. And that's been really frustrating for me. And I think that's like part of the you know problem. I'm, I'm putting all this pressure on myself to perform, but in the process of doing so, 
I'm yeah. not able to perform. Right. Yeah. And there's a fine line between, you know, having that ambition and raising the bar, but not putting it to where we can't reach it or comparing to some somewhere that we, you know, comparison can be, can be steal your dream too. Right. It's all, you know, if you're, if you're, it shows, you know, the swimmers and one is looking to see where the other one is, right. If you're looking, you're losing, you're losing traction. Right. So mm -hmm. it's like run your own race, play your own game and, and go from your, it keeps going from head to heart. So again, flow takes you out of that analytic side, right? Because mm -hmm. yes, there's stats to look at and it's great to have goals. I always say, you know, you've heard this before, I'm sure we miss hundred percent of the shots we don't take, right? So like we need Rain to take those shots. Michael Scott. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love like Michael Jordan said, you know, we go um, obstacles, basically you go through around or over, you think about him, if you were in front of him, he went through you, around you, or over you, right? That's just mm -hmm. how we play. So it's how we shift our lens to perception. Every obstacle is an opportunity. I don't even really use the word problem. I, I'm not a fan of the word. I think words hold a lot of power. It's called spelling for a reason, just like TV is programming. So I'm very conscious of the energy, the people, and what I let into my awareness these days, because mm -hmm. everything... Um, sets it in motion so you know Henry Ford said if you believe you can you're right or you believe you can't you're right or something like that it's mm -hmm. it's belief actually my favorite is the simple it's a one line Bob Proctor said he said you'll never exceed your self-image so we have to see ourselves doing those things we have to believe that we can do those things and we really tap into that we really step into our self-worth other people start to see it more too mm, absolutely mm -hmm. I have one final question, MJ. I don't know if you have anything left here. Okay. So my question would be if you're if you're talking to an athlete, whether it's team or individual, how would you help somebody who's playing in their head start to play with their heart instead? It would be what I talked about earlier. Actually, we can do a quick exercise. Can we do one? Sure, let's do it. So we'll just sit up straight. We'll put our hands on our heart. Close our eyes and take three deep breaths. So we go one breath in. Exhale. Another breath in. Exhale. One more inward. And exhale. Open your eyes. We go from our head to our heart. So when they're really in their head, help them remember why they love the sport and highlight what they're good at and what they're doing right. Or, or talk to them about what they're doing. Say, you know, if they say certain things, say, well, how's that working for you? <laughs> Sometimes I'm really brutal in a good way, though, because people need that interrupt, right? And it's like, well, I do this and I do that. And or this and well, I'm like, well, if that's what you think, that's what you'll get, you know, or if that's if that's what you're doing. It's like you said earlier, if there's a coach that just, that's the way they're doing it, they're really stuck to that way. I had a friend in Newfoundland. He wrote a book. He was a vet in Newfoundland for 20 or 30 years. He's from Ontario. And he went to this home and he was helping them shoe the horse and the horse had some kind of, anyway, he's basically saying, no, you need to do it this way. And the guy's like, no, this is how we shoe the horses. My grandfather and his grandfather for 50 years. And he's like, it was hard for him. But he looked at him and said, well, for 50 years, you've been doing it wrong. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny <laughs> because, you know, you had to be open that there might be a better way. You know, if your way is working for you, great. But if it's not, be open to 
that there is a better way. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. Love that. That's great. I, you know, I have one final, final question for you. <laughs> take it away. Take it away. So if you could travel back in time to your 20 year old self and tell yourself yeah. one thing, what would it be? What would I tell my 20 year old self? Mm -hmm. Journey inward. You got this. I like that. I like it a lot. Awesome. I know I could have used that when I was at that <laughs> <Me> age too. <laughs> too. <laughs> I mean, that was like three years ago. I was 20. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 27 yes, years ago, I was 20. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, you know what? This has been such a great, great conversation. I know we could probably keep going forever, but uh, for for the time's sake and also my bedtime's sake, we will start <laughs> to wrap up. Um, yeah. can you, can you let the audience know where they can reach you if they want to reach out to work with you and to get in touch? For sure. So my last name is Doyle and I, I love playing on words, people that know me. So my company is called Doyle it in instead of dial it in. So it's, it's D O Y L E I T I N.com. And I have lots of resources on there and free webinars and my emails there and all my social media handles. So yeah, feel free to reach out. And also don't want to go without shout out to Niza and the flow code. If you go to theflowcode.com, you can check it out and you can do a seven day trial. And whether you want to use it for personal use, the Flow Hub 7 or the Flow Coaching Academy, it's a really great program. I'm actually hosting a webinar on Thursday to promote the Coaching Academy as well. And I want to thank both of you guys. I really don't take it lightly. I, uh, I appreciate it. I'm grateful for your time, your presence, and your input, because I learn from everyone. And you guys have lots to teach me, just as I you know, have wisdom to instill on other people. And you talked earlier, MJ, about um, intelligence, right? And I think there's a difference between, say, knowledge, education and knowledge, and intelligence and wisdom, as we know and it's like people say knowledge is power. And then they say, no, applied knowledge is power. And I'm like, mm, applied knowledge that's applied with wisdom and intelligence is power. So, you know, it's, it's all how you look at it. And um, I don't ever need to be right. Um, and I don't feel a need to be right. I just love to share what I feel inside, what's true for me. And I really encourage people to find your own truth and go within all the answers you seek are inside of you, everything you need. And again, water that seed because you're unstoppable. Well, thank you again so much, Michael, and hopefully we'll have you gone again sometime in the future. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I send you love and light. Bye.